Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining us today. Well, on this Friday broadcast, we're doing a standalone message. And the message today is entitled Living by the Gospel Alone. Or we could say, Living by Grace Alone. Well, what does that mean? To be living by the Gospel Alone. Well, let me give you a quick overview of the entire book of Galatians. And now the Galatians is a message that is too good to be true, but it is, right? You ever have a message that's too good to be true, but it was true? The gospel of the Galatians, is the gospel special? Can I earn God's favor? And how should people set free? How should they live now? Okay. Those are the three things that we learn from the book of Galatians. Let's break it down for us on our broadcast today. First of all, chapters one and two, very biographical in nature. Is the gospel special, right? This is a message that is given by the apostles, and the gospel is true, and the gospel is defined. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. The gospel is a, an acknowledgement that I cannot live by good works to earn God's favor. I cannot depend upon that. And so that's the first couple of chapters uh, dealing with the gospel being true, okay? And then chapters three and four are doctrinal. So you have biographical, and then chapter three and four, uh, doctrinal. And this would be the failure of legalism. You know, all the other religions of the world say you got to do something. This is what you got to do to earn God's favor. And uh, the gospel is superior in that it is grace-based, right? And grace is expounded. So chapters one and two, we had a definition of grace, which is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's all based upon what Christ does for us. Chapters three and four, more doctrinal, is that, that the gospel is superior than our efforts, our good efforts. The gospel is expounded upon. And in chapters five and six, very practical, okay? Talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, talking about the gospel frees us, right? Uh, sets us free. And so we have the grace applied to our lives. Maybe one of the most famous verses in the book of Galatians is Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So Paul is reminding the Galatian believers not to go back into that yoke of legalism, not to go back to that yoke of slavery. Don't submit yourself again. Stand firm on the gospel. So the book of Galatians, written by Paul, and it's not written to one church. There's no one church of Galatia. Uh, it's a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. Now, this is where modern-day Turkey is, okay? Paul wrote this letter sometime around A.D. 52, plus or minus a few years. We don't have the exact time, but it was around A.D. 52. And there's a lot of scholarly debate about whether this letter was, was sent to the churches of Southern Asia Minor or Northern Asia Minor. Uh, it seems most likely that the recipients were in that Southern Asia Minor area. Uh, but these are the churches that Paul planted, and uh, these are the churches that he planted in Acts chapter 13, which would include Antioch and Iconia and Lystra and Derby. So as we look back, we see that Paul visited these churches on his second missionary journey, established them on the first missionary journey, and then goes back and visits them again. So in this, we see that Paul does some amazing things. 
Uh, Let me begin by just reading uh, the beginning of the letter. So Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches of Galatia. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father. So he's giving us an understanding here of the purpose of Christ, the purpose of the gospel, that it has come and Jesus came to offer himself for our sins, to rescue us from the evil of the age in which we're living. And then he says, to him be glory forever and ever. And in verse 6, he throws in something that really is very unexpected. He says, I'm astonished. Now, he's not astonished by their faith. He says, I'm shocked that you have so quickly deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. He says, I just can't believe that you have been a recipient of God's grace. You have been set free from your sin. But yet you want to go back to the old lifestyle. Now, if you've been around any length of time, you know that there's a large percentage of people who pray to receive Christ, but yet they never grow in their faith. And that's what Paul is dealing with with the Galatian believers. He says, you're adopting a different gospel that is really no gospel at all. He says, somebody's throwing you in confusion. Somebody's trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And he says, even if another angel came from heaven and should preach a different gospel, other than that we preach you, let them be under God's curse. We've already said, and now we say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what we gave and what you accepted, let them be under a curse. Now we're down to verse number 10. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then he says, to tamper with the gospel is a terrible thing. So as we look at these verses 1 through 10, Galatians chapter 1, we learn some valuable lessons. A great author and great pastor, Charles Swindoll, has a book, Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life. And he tells a story about the 19th century agnostic Thomas Huxley. And now some of you may know him as the one who promoted humanism and promoted Darwinism in his attacks on Christianity. Well, Huxley is in Dublin, and he was rushing to catch a train. He climbed aboard of one of Dublin's famous horse-drawn taxis, and he said to the driver, hurry, I'm almost late, drive fast. Well, off they went on a furious pace, and Huxley sat back in his seat and he closed his eyes. After a while, Huxley opened up his eyes and he glanced out the window to notice that they were going in the wrong direction. Well, realizing he hadn't told the driver where to take him, he called out, do you know where you're going? The driver replied, well, no, your honor, but I'm driving really fast as you have asked me to drive really, really fast. As Paul is addressing the Galatian believers, he's saying, I'm astonished. Are you going really fast in your faith, but you're going in the wrong direction? And here we discover many people begin their journey with Christ in the same way. 
They put their faith and trust in Christ, but then they go right back to the same way that they were living their lives before coming to Christ. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus goes into a synagogue, and he begins to teach. And it says that they were astonished at his teaching, for they taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. When they were there in the synagogue, there was a man who had an, an unclean spirit. And the man cried out, and the demons within this man said, Let us alone. Uh, we don't have anything to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth. Did you come to destroy us? And he says, I don't know who you are. And Jesus rebukes that spirit. He says, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit came out, the man convulsed and cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. So they were questioning among themselves, what is this? What new doctrine is this? Who with authority commands even the unclean spirits to obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all of the region of Galatia. Now, as we look at that illustration there, Mark chapter 1, Jesus casting out demons. When you look at the rest of the story, you discover that some of those followers were amazed that Jesus did this. His fame is beginning to spread throughout all of the region, but many started following Christ not because of the fact that he could forgive them of their sins. They were following Christ because of the miracles that he did. I think Paul is facing the same thing. He's saying to them, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting or leaving your post. That's what that term deserting is. You're a member of the military but you've left your post. Uh, you've left your post, and now you're following one. Uh, you're leaving the one who is never going to leave you. We're called to live in the grace of Christ. And we're not to turn to a different gospel or a different cult, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people were bringing in false doctrine. You know, new believers are so susceptible to false doctrine. In a speech that he gave in 1863, Abraham Lincoln said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom, some virtue of our own. We have become intoxicated with unbroken success. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ that turned around those Galatian believers, but they quickly forgotten all about God. They were intoxicated with their success. They were going back to a works-based salvation. You know, you think about that term, the gospel. The gospel is found 99 times in the New American Standard Version of the Bible. The Greek New Testament, the word gospel, is a word that occurs 
and it is interpreted good news. That Greek word is found 76 times. And as we look at the gospel, the gospel is the good news that brings salvation. We're to proclaim that good news. The good news is proclaimed through those who have been evangelized. You know, if you've been born again, you have been given the responsibility to proclaim the gospel. That's our job, to share the gospel wherever we go. You know, the gospel, in a nutshell, has four parts. Now, in order to get this, we've got to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is writing, and he says, I want to make it clear to you, verse number one, I want to make it clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you, that you received, on which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Paul is driving home a point to the Corinthian believers, the same point that he is driving home to the Galatian believers, the same point that we would drive home to the American believers. The gospel is something that you must believe, but if you believe in vain and you miss this nutshell of what the gospel is, and here it is, he says, I pass it on to you of first and foremost importance. Number one, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. All right, part one of the gospel, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. So it's putting the emphasis on Christ. The gospel is Christ-centered, Christ dying for our sins. We cannot pay for our sins. Christ had to die for our sins. That's part one. Part two, that he was buried, all right, that he was lowered into that tomb. He was separated from his father. He was buried in that tomb. Part number three, that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. So we've got three parts of the four parts of the gospel. Part number one, Christ died for our sins, took the penalty of our sins, dying on the cross. He was buried, separated from his father. He was dead for three days, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. The resurrection is pivotal to understanding of the gospel. And then number four, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And here we discover that the resurrected Savior made an appearance to over 500, says Paul. But here he records Cephas and the twelve. I want you to know. The gospel is what changes our lives. So Paul begins by saying, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil day, according to the will of God our Father. You see, the gospel delivered us when we were lost, when we were hopeless. I love how Paul writes it to the Hebrew believers. He says, what makes us think that we can escape? If we neglect such a great salvation, which was first announced by the Lord himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him. Oh, this ought to encourage you to share the gospel wherever you go, because there's no escape for those who ignore this great salvation. Those who ignore the gospel, those who reject the gospel, those who refuse to become a recipients of the gospel. This gospel was given to it by the Lord. Let me tell you, the gospel will set you free. 
It's what delivers us from hopelessness and from being lost. The gospel in Romans chapter 4 is also Jesus dying in place of us. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. The gospel is also God accepting the work of Christ on our behalf by raising him from the dead. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. The gospel is so great. Maybe you're listening and says, why is the gospel so great? The gospel is so great because it was God's will and God's grace that came together. Oh, there are some dangers that we have if we desert the gospel. We will be deserting God's will for our lives. We will be abandoning God's grace for our lives. There's also danger if we miss what the gospel is. You know, in John chapter 1, it says that as many received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, not of the will of men, but of God. The gospel is the good news of God giving his grace to us. And if we receive it, we're receiving the will of God. You know, there's so many dangers in rejecting the gospel. It is my prayer that you will not reject the gospel. Maybe the strongest argument for the gospel of Christ is the personal testimony of someone whose life was changed by it. Oh, I could share my testimony with you, and you've heard it before. But there's a guy by the name of Charles Bradlaugh. He was an avowed infidel. He once challenged a pastor, the Reverend H.P. Hughes, in a debate. The preacher who was the head of a rescue mission in London, England, decided that he would accept this challenge. He felt like uh, he was going to be in trouble because Charles Bradlaugh was not only an avowed infidel, but he was an intellectual of that age. Well, this preacher who had this rescue mission, man, he felt like he was in over his head. But he said, I'll take this challenge to debate him. He said, under one condition, that he could bring with him 100 men and women who could tell what happened to their lives since trusting in Christ. They would be people who once lived in deep sin, some having coming out of poverty-stricken homes, some coming out of very bad backgrounds. Well, Hughes said they would not only tell of their conversion, but would submit to cross-examination by anybody who doubted their stories. Furthermore, Pastor Hughes says, you can bring with you anybody who has been changed by their rejection of the gospel. So they got together that night. The minister invited his opponent to bring all the non-believers he could find and to tell how they were helped by their lack of faith. Well, when the appointed day arrived, the preacher came, accompanied by 100 transformed persons. But Mr. Bridelaw, he never showed up. As a result, the meeting turned into a testimony time, and many sinners who had gathered to hear the scheduled debate were converted. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we learned. Paul says, you know, I'm not really sufficient of myself. 
to think that I should bring anything of myself, but my sufficiency comes from God, who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit brings life. Oh, I want you to know the gospel can change your life like you've never been changed before. That's the power of the gospel. Maybe you're listening to me today and said, man, I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, my heart goes out to you. I want you to experience the joy of being set free from your sins. I want you to know that um, I'm a type A personality, and I love to see things getting done. I love to see buildings built. I love to see projects completed. I love to, to finish the work that is before me. I love when I finish a sermon. I love when I finish cutting my grass. I, I love to see things done. But I want you to know, there is a, a greater feeling than that feeling of accomplishment. And it is that feeling of being forgiven, realizing that my sins are no longer held against me. The greatest feeling that you can feel in the world today is that feeling of being released from your sins. I've been pardoned. I've been forgiven. I remember as a young man, I had a very uh, a heavy lawsuit that was brought against me. I was being sued for a million dollars, and uh, my insurance company, uh, they had, uh, I was involved in an accident where somebody got seriously hurt, and uh, it had exceeded the limits of my insurance, and, and now they were coming after me personally, trying to, uh, to get some money to, to take care of the bills, and, and then it was a lawsuit for pain and suffering, and I was just, I was just overwhelmed. I was a young uh, 19-year-old kid. Uh, facing this unbelievable lawsuit, and 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 that was uh, that was almost forty years ago when when a million dollars was a awful lot of money, and I I was just beside myself, and, and and I'm there in the court and trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do, and uh, thinking how am I going to pay this debt? It's an impossible debt. Uh, there's no way that I could ever live the rest of my life and pay off this debt. And then at the end of that uh, that trial, uh, the one who had been harmed by my irresponsibility came to me and and said, you know what? I want you to know that I forgive you. Because I'm not going to go after any more money for pain and suffering. And and I just want you to know that that you are forgiven. You know, that was the greatest relief that I had ever experienced in my life. To know that the one that I had caused a lot of pain in had forgiven me. You know, forgiveness is a gift. It's not anything that we ever can earn. We are forgiven. By God's grace, we are forgiven. We are forgiven by the mighty act of Christ, no longer holding that sin against us. Maybe you've never experienced forgiveness. Maybe the reason that you're having trouble forgiving others is because you have never yourself been forgiven. You know, when we are forgiven of much, we are able to forgive others of much. Jesus tells us in the model of prayer that we're to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Today, I'd like to pray for you as we have just a closing minute of our broadcast today. And my prayer is that you will be set free, that you no longer live in bondage, that you no longer let bitterness take that strong grip on you. So, Lord, I pray for those listening to me today that are battling bitterness and battling resentment and having a hard time letting go. Lord, may they experience that gift of forgiveness. May they put their faith and trust in you to receive the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, we pray believing that you want to set them free. Because when you set us free, we are set free indeed. 
Lord, thank you for being with us. I thank you for those who are driving home. Keep them safe as they're driving uh, home from work. Allow them to enjoy this weekend. Allow them to be worshiping you this Sunday. I pray that they will worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, my friend, I want to personally pray for you. If you will shoot me a text message asking for prayer, I'll pray for you. My number is 252-267-2365. It would be my highest honor to pray for you. I've got a whole team of people that would love to pray for you on Thursday morning. And then I email prayer requests out to our, our prayer team and they pray for you every week. It would be our honor to pray for you. Shoot me a text again. That number is 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you need a place to worship, why not come on down to Hickory Ridge Community Church? We're at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Come at 9 or 1045. I would love to meet you. I'll meet you by person meet you personally uh, if you come to worship with us this weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you on Monday. Join us the same time on this station. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.